Good morning. It's wonderful to have you all here. And again, it's still wonderful to see everyone face to face. It's just wonderful. And if it was, um, if it was, if it was allowed, I'd ask you all to give yourselves a high five. Oh, actually, you can do it. Give yourself a high five, not someone else. Because it's Palm Sunday. Oh, put that one together. I'm now a dad. I can now make jokes like that. It's good to be here. Today also marks the beginning of our preparation into Easter. The beginning of a journey. I've called it the road to restoration. You see, the reality is simply this, is that our God is in the restoration business. There's been a real fascination lately uh, on TV, especially with many of the shows that are on in regards to restoration. And I'll, I'll be honest, I love these shows. I love seeing how something begins uh, it's dilapidated, it's falling apart. And it's amazing to be able to see what it can become. Fixer Upper, any fans here? Chip and Joanna Gaines, Beck and I love it. It's been something we've really enjoyed uh, to watch together. Also, Rust Valley Restorers is a, is a recent one that I've uh, come across. Uh, the story of a gentleman who has a few hundred rusted old vehicles that he's accrued over his lifetime and uh, he's slowly working his way through restoring them to their original glory and, if anything, sometimes even better. Also at home, my wife and I have been renovating a house ever since we began the role here at Roeville. We moved in a lot closer and we bought a little old house built in the 1970s and we've been restoring that ever since. Um, I worked out that's six years and still going, so... um Enjoy it. I'm hoping that one will be finished soon, though. I'll be honest. Doesn't seem to go as quickly as a one half hour episode that you watch on telly, does it? But it's a beautiful thing to see something restored back to its former glory. And our God, through Jesus Christ, has made it possible that we be restored back to him. Each of us created in his image. Each of us. Each one of you created to have a relationship with him. But the brokenness of our humanity, our sin has separated us from him. But the wonderful story of the Easter season is that through Jesus Christ, we can be restored to him once more. So as we enter this season, we are reminded and confronted with this message once again. And so we start here on Palm Sunday as we start to focus towards Easter Sunday. Now in the Gospels, as we come to this story, Jesus has already done some amazing things. He has already healed sick people. He's raised people from the dead. He's, he's commanded to, to creation itself, to storms, to be still, and they have been stilled. People are already amazed by what he has done. But in a sense... Palm Sunday, in this event as Jesus enters, he is declaring himself like no other time. This was the day when Jesus shows up in all his glory, declaring exactly who he is, declaring the fullness of who he was and still is. And I'd like you to read with me from the story. If you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 11 from verse 1. We read this. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, 
he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden it. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the centre of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heaven. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the twelve disciples. We also get this extra little addition in the Gospel of Luke as well. Chapter 19 from verse 39. After all of this occurred, we read, Luke, this this extra little glimpse. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like this. He replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. What a wonderful picture. You see... What's happening here is Jesus is entering on a donkey at a time when many people were in the city of Jerusalem. It was becoming a, coming into the Passover celebrations. So people from all over the villages, all over the towns, people of all different uh, f- f- traditions were coming and nationalities were coming in to celebrate the Passover. So there were people everywhere. People were coming, uh, were coming with their families. The city was was full of people. And it's in this time as there are so many people that Jesus enters in this way, on the back of a donkey. Now, the way you enter a situation says something about who you are. The way you arrive to an event or a gala of some sort speaks of who you are. Think for a moment when the Queen enters any situation. It's a little bit different than when I get into my car with my family and I turn up to a party. When the Queen arrives, she enters with her entourage, security vehicles and glamorous safeguarded vehicles, all escorted by a fleet of armed guards. Roads are even shut down. Police even escort her to her destination. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, going to work each morning, not having to worry about traffic. How about stars who enter on the red carpet when there are these big glamorous events? Limousines turn up out the front, at the, right on the edge of the red carpet so that they don't have to put their feet on the dirt like the rest of us. They step onto the red carpet in, carpet, sorry, in their glamorous attire. And as they do come down the red carpet, it's usually roped off so the riffraff can stay to the sides. 
cameras are, are going off you know, as the news reporters are there trying to get a, a glimpse, trying to get a photo, trying to get a report of their arrival. I also need to admit, this doesn't tend to happen when I arrive in a situation. How about the Prime Minister of Australia? The current vehicle for the Prime Minister at the moment is the white BMW 7 Series. Wherever he goes, this is his vehicle that's been assigned to him. The limousine has been fitted with bulletproof doors and windows, as well as armour on the floor of the vehicle, plus extra modifications, to say the least. And the Australian flag is centrally mounted on the bonnet of the vehicle. That's how he gets around. That's how he enters. And you know, when you see this, you know the event. You know the person. You know what's taking place. And in a similar way, as Jesus entered that city on the back of a donkey, they knew what he was saying. They knew what he was declaring. You see, 500 years previously, a prophet had spoken these words about one who would come and who would save his people from their sins, who would come and save them. In Zechariah chapter 9 from verse 9, these are the words of this prophecy. Rejoice, O people of Zion, shout in triumph. O people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So the people of this town knew exactly what was being said as Jesus came on that donkey. Jesus was declaring that I am the one, I am the very son of God, I have come to save you. And they tore palm branches off trees. They, they took off their jackets and they lined the road for Jesus riding on the back of this colt. It was a signal of honour. This was done for kings who would often go from town to town and they would sing his praises. Hosanna, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna, they cried. You know what this means? The Hosanna simply means sort of like a, a double meaning. Praise him and you have come to save us. We praise you for you have come to save us. You are the one we have been waiting for is the cry. Our king has come. Our king is finally here. And you can sense the excitement in the air. Try to imagine. As he comes, you can see people are shouting. They're, they're excited. The disciples are just Excited that they can go public. They've been told a number of times to keep who Jesus was, his, his, the, the revelation of who he, he was to themselves. But finally Jesus comes and they can tell everybody, they can scream from the rooftops, this is Jesus, this is the one, this is the Son of God. The moment is finally here for the disciples and for all of those who've been waiting for centuries. I wonder if you've ever had a moment of waiting or of anticipation. I can remember waiting for my VCE results. That was nerve-wracking because I didn't know how well that I did. <laughs> nerve-wracking. Or if you've been expecting a child, that first 10 weeks is, is quite exciting and difficult. As you're waiting, as you're unsure what, what's going to unfold... And then all the last weeks, so I've been told, 
I'm not sure. Like, don't speak from experience here. Haven't given birth, but so I've been told those last weeks or those last days for a, a lady are excruciating. It's come on, let's get this done. Let's let's get it out. Let's see this child whom we have been waiting for. The anticipation in the air in this event is far greater than any of these all combined. This is Jesus. He has arrived. This is the long-awaited Son of God. And in the midst of this, what can we see? In the midst of this atmosphere, what can we learn about Jesus? A couple things for us to take and to shape us this morning. In Jesus, we can see this. Firstly, the uncontainable nature of God. We see the hopes of the crowd versus the reality of Jesus. See, the crowd were expecting a king who would come and save them quite literally from the Romans who were enslaving them. They were expected to be, to be freed. They were waiting for a warrior king, a, come, a king to come and to overthrow the Roman occupation. They were looking for a physical kingdom with a throne, a courtroom, a glorious city, or all of those things, with all the pomp and glamour. They were expecting the greatest city of all time and a kingdom that would expand the whole world. A conquering king, a warrior, a leader of their nation. The reality was far different than what they expected. Yes, Jesus was coming as a king, but far beyond what they could imagine. It was not just a conquering king, but a humble servant. Not a warrior, but a sheep to the slaughter. Not a leader of a nation, but a saviour of the entire world. You see, God was up to something far greater than they could possibly have realised. Something far greater than that, something that they could have comprehended. Makes me think of Psalm 92.5. How great are your works, O Lord, how profound are your thoughts. Or Romans 11 verse 33, and I'd like to, to read this. If you've got your Bibles open with me. To Romans 11. From verse 33 it says this, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? Who has given him so much that he needs to be paid back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. I love the message version of these words. It says, have you ever come on anything quite like the extravagant generosity of God? This deep, deep wisdom? It's way over our heads. We'll never figure it out. Is there anyone around who can explain God? Anyone smart enough to tell him what to do? Anyone who has done him such a great favour that God has to ask his advice? Everything comes from him. Everything happens through him. Everything ends up in him. Always glory, always praise. These are words that show us that God is far bigger and his ways are so beyond our thoughts and our comprehension. It's true for us even today. 
as followers, as seekers of Jesus Christ. Without even realising it, we often limit God. We often have our own conceptions about who he is. We inherit this from the people around us, from the events that have occurred in our lives, what we've learnt from the media, social media, or even from our own study or our own experiences. We have a picture of God that we build, that we believe to be true. By doing so, we often set boundaries. We often try to contain him, in a sense, box him in. Yet, our God is beyond being defined. God is far bigger than our theology or our traditions. Far bigger also than our own personal plans. You see, the crowds in the story define Jesus by their own needs, by the things that they wanted. We do that, in a sense, in our own journey. When God doesn't meet our needs or if he does things that we don't like, well, we very quickly write him off. That's not the God that I want. That's not the God that I want to serve. By saying that, what we actually say is we are the ones that set the rules. We are the ones that do the defining. In reality, we're saying we are God. God breaks any definition that we put in place. Because we are not God and he is. And he's far bigger than we can possibly imagine. And his ways are far greater than we can possibly understand. And often his ways are hard to understand, let's be honest. The disciples here who were following Jesus, they had great plans. Now they is here, they're thinking, we're going to rule at last. Imagine their excitement, we're going to go public. Finally we get to rule with Jesus. Finally we get to enjoy what this would bring. Yet what was the reality of this event? As Jesus was entering that city, he wasn't walking in that city to take over the, you know, the whole city and to sit on the throne and to rule from that throne and to, to have power over those people. No, he was entering that city to give his life as a sacrifice for many, for the entire world. It's not what they were hoping for. Even though Jesus told them time and time again, that's not what they wanted. rarely understand the full, picture, the full picture of what God is up to in our lives. As we read this, we can remind it that he's, he has a perfect plan. It's not always easy. We don't always understand it in the situation in which we're in, but it's worth trusting. In hindsight, we get to look back. We get to look back and reflect on this event As we do so, we can see what God was up to. We can see his intention. We can see his wisdom. As difficult as it was, we can understand now what he was doing. It's not always easy in the midst of our own journey, is it? As we walk and we live for Jesus, situations can be tough and we can't understand what God is doing. Be encouraged and know that God's plan is far greater than what you can think or understand and is far better than you can possibly imagine. It's the upside down and ironic form of the gospel of the, and the good news. In John twelve twenty three, we read these words and these are words that Jesus shared with his disciples before this event. He shared these words to pre- pre- prepare these disciples. It's what he said. 
In John 12 from verse 23, Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. He's speaking of himself. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honour anyone who serves me. Now, Jesus is speaking of his own life. He illustrates it as a, as a seed, a kernel of wheat, as it dies and goes into the ground. So, so a new plant is formed and more wheat, many more kernels of wheat are produced Speaking of himself firstly, that as I give my life, many people will be saved. He's reminding them, I must die, I must give my life so that so this can occur, so that many people may be saved. But then he gives words to his disciples and to us who would follow him. Those who love their life in this world will lose it, and those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Odd words. What does he mean by that? Those who lose their life will actually receive it. This is the, the irony of the good news. You see, as we give our lives, as we put Jesus first, as we live for him, as we serve him, so we find life like never before, both here and for eternity. It's the upside down nature of the gospel. The more we focus simply on our own lives and gaining for ourselves, where we find ourselves more lonely and separated from those around us. And we know this to be true. It's better to give than to receive. And we honour people who give their lives to love those around them. The heart of this is what Jesus is saying. Give your life for me. Love me. Put me first in your life. And you will find life like you could never imagine. A life worth living. A life loving people around us. And eternal life with him. Eternal life beyond this one. We find life like never before. So we see the uncontainable nature of God. We also see this. The extraordinary grace of God. And I've split that word on person. Purpose, the extraordinary grace. I love the word extraordinary, extraordinary, beyond ordinary, the extraordinary grace of God. The crowd that, that were there when Jesus came, they were a mixed crowd of people. There were people in that crowd who definitely were following Jesus out of the right motives. There were people there who were just doing their jobs, preparing for their festivities and, hey, wait, what's that noise? <laughs> What's that noise? Who's that? And then, as you would, go down to Burke Street in the city. Maybe not at the moment. It's very quiet. But when it used to be busy, you know, you'd go for a walk down that, that street and you'd come across anything, the unexpected, and you're often drawn to it. I, I was always drawn to the buskers. You'd come along. You'd never know who would be there. And you'd come over and you'd just watch and you'd see what they're up to. There would be many people who were just drawn because of the noise, because of the sound. But then there would have been those in the crowd that were opponents of Jesus. There were those who were trying to kill him. In the background, we know that they were muttering, they were murmuring, they were trying to 
put a plan together to have him killed and executed. They were in the crowd too. This mixed crowd of people that Jesus comes to. There would have been people also who had been healed by Jesus, coming to praise him. There would have been such a mixed crowd in that place. There would have been those who had left everything to follow him. Who had followed Jesus for three years, had given up their jobs, had given up their lives to be with him and to follow him and to see what he would do. The ones who loved him would have taken off their cloaks and put them on the road and let a donkey, dirty feet of a donkey, young colt, walk over their, their, co- their coats. It was a sign of humility to say, we honour you. They would have honoured him. And in the midst of this crowd, some of those who were opposing Jesus, the Pharisees, actually rebuked Jesus saying, tell them to be quiet. Tell them not to sing your praises. Why are you allowing them to do this? And Jesus says, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Don't you love that? Even creation itself will cry out. Interesting thing is that in all honesty, in all honesty, most of those present were clueless about what was to come. Their motives in that place may have actually been pure their understanding for many of them was way off the mark. Just a few days later, many of them would be standing as Jesus was brought to be tried for execution and many of would have stood in that crowd and cried out, crucify him, kill him. The thing is, Jesus knew. As Jesus, on the back of the colt, went through that city as people were praising him, he knew that in a few days, though the same people would be calling out to have him killed. Yet he comes still. He loves them still. Romans 5.8 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Jesus Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That is, while we were still far from God. You see, in the midst of this scene, God is still gracious and kind and pours out his love. Knowing that he would go to a cross, he would give his very life for these people. In the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our misunderstanding, God is gracious, God is patient, God loves us still. Whatever life that you may have lived, God loves you still. (laughs) However you may stumble, however you may falter, however you may fall, God loves you still. His love does not need to be earned, but received with open arms. Wherever you've been, Wherever life has taken you, know that God loves you. And if you've given your life to Jesus and you're striving to serve him, you fall at times, you don't give your best at times, it's okay. He knows. 
He loves you still. He went to the cross knowing all of that. He still chose to go. He still chose to give his life so that you can come to know life through him. In the midst of this crowd, we can see the very Son of God who would come so that we, so that you, would have life. Life to the fullness. We see the uncontainable nature of God. We see the extraordinary grace of God. I pray that today and in this season, that you will respond. That you will cry out quiet of your heart and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you're son of, the Son of God and I accept you. I want to live my life for you. And I thank you. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for who you are. And all we can do is come before you and say thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for who you are. Lord, we admit that at times we have tried to define you. Lord, you are so beyond all that we can define. And forgive us, Lord, for boxing you in. Father, I pray that you would show yourself to us in new ways. Lord, whether there are people here who are just exploring you, Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. Lord, if there are people who have been here and they've been Christians for decades, Lord, I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself in new ways. Thank you, Father, for your grace, for your love for us. That you would come and give your life so that we may have life, even in our brokenness. So we thank you. We thank you for your grace and for your love. Thank you that you love us still. For each person here today, Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit that they will know that you are here. That they will know that they are loved stillness of their hearts, they may just reach out and say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. <laughs> Thank you. I want to live my life for you. And thank you for the life that you give. So, Lord, as we come into this Easter season, may it be like no other. May it not just be another Easter, but may we grow in you. We come to know you all the more because of it. We give you praise, we give you thanks and we pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, Amen.